1: to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Dr. John Masterson. Dr. Masterson is a fourth year urology resident at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, California. He graduated from the University of Miami School of Medicine and is originally from Philadelphia. He joins us today to help us better understand what a priapism is, a phenomenon that is associated with erections and potentially with erectile dysfunction. Dr. Masterson, thank you very much
0: for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Before we get into
1: priapism, can you just share with our listeners a little bit about uh, urology residency? What type of patients do you see? What cases are you working with?
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, like you said, I'm a fourth year urology resident. Most residencies in urology are either five total years or six total years. Um, Historically, there were usually six where you do two years of general surgery up front. Now that's kind of changed where you do sort of one year of gen surge in the beginning. um, And then the remaining years are all urology and the six year programs typically have a built-in research year. So you actually spend a year out of the hospital in the lab doing uh, either basic science or clinical research Um, as residents, you know, you're this is when this is your opportunity to learn how to operate for the most part. So, um, you know, you spend a lot of your time in the hospital doing surgeries with your attendings, it usually starts out uh, your first couple of years doing uh, mostly cystoscopic cases, which are usually endoscopic, um, bladder um, bladder cancer related, um, or uh, like transurethal resection prostate for men that have BPH and things like that. A lot of kidney stones as well. Um, and then as you sort of move up into your upper years, you do um, laparoscopic and robotic surgery and uh, sometimes open surgery as well for kidneys, bladders, prostates, Usually a lot of cancer operations as well. Um, and then also as a resident, you're seeing lots of consults in the ER, consults on the floor, some of which, especially at Cedar sinai are priapism. Um, so that's usually how we see those patients is in the emergency room. Okay, so let's use that as a segue
1: and talk a little bit about what what exactly is a priapism.
0: Yeah, so a priapism is basically the, uh, it's like the feared outcome of, um I guess like if you ever see a commercial for Viagra, you know, it'll say quickly at the end, you know, if you have an erection lasting longer than four hours, contact your physician. That's a priapism. Um, that's basically the thing that everyone's afraid of with um, erectile dysfunction medications. That's like the feared side effect or complication. Um, and it's essentially uh, a, an erection that lasts longer than um, is desired or is expected to. And the main concern is that, especially in the form of a of priapism called ischemic priapism there can be permanent erectile damage so if you have an ischemic priapism you can have permanent erectile function dysfunction afterwards
1: okay so so let's let's kind of dig into that for a moment physiologically once a man achieves an orgasm should the erection subside and should it return back to a flaccid state and is a priapism specifically like noticeable or measured by a post orgasm erection or any erection with or without an orgasm that lasts beyond a certain period is problematic.
0: Yeah. So I guess um physiologically, you know, there they're basically pro-erection and pro um detumescence is what we call. Like when you have an erection that naturally goes away, it's called to it's detumescence, is what that's called. So there's sort of this like two sides of the scale. Uh there's like pro erectile physiologic functions. This usually happens at the level of smooth muscle in the vessels of the penis or the corpora, which are basically two big blood vessels. Those are the things that fill with blood and become hard. Um, It's usually mediated by nitrous oxide. Um, So if there's an, if there's initial, you know, sexual stimulation, these smooth muscles relax and allow blood flow, venous blood usually to venous blood. And when things are working properly, it's venous blood to enter the penis. Um, and then the sort of natural drainage mechanisms are compressed. So that blood stays in the penis and that's how you have Mm -hmm. a rigid erection. And then, yeah. So then after orgasm, or if there's a loss of stimulation, then you sort of switch over to the, um, detumescence phase and the detumescence processes where those, um, smooth muscles will constrict and that blood will then leave the penis. And as the, as the penis becomes sort of more flaccid, those natural drainage mechanisms, these venules, um, outside the corpora open up again and allow the blood to leave the penis. The issue with, uh, priapism, um, is that basically those, those pro erectile pathways that like s- that relaxing of the smooth muscle sort of becomes paralyzed and it becomes stuck in that state. Um, and it's sort of like a, you know, the, the the tipping of the scales gets stuck on the side of pro erection, and that venous blood can't leave the penis.
1: Okay, and what um, and what I'm gathering from that is that the pro erection side is also what contributes to the compressing of the of the release side. So as exact. long as it's stuck with you know, in, yeah. in that in that um, erect
0: state, and it doesn't really kind of move out of that, there's no escape for that blood. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. There are some good, um, diagrams of this online. Um, I wish I had one to show, but basically, um, the outer layer of the the corpora, uh, the corpora cavernosa and the penis is this tough tissue called the tunica albuginia. And then even outside of that, there are these little, um, veins or venules that it's, it's sort of like a, it's like a positive feedback loop, but like as the corpora expands, it compresses the like escape mechanism Mm -hmm for blood so then that's how you stay in this rigid state um and then you know with priapism i guess like you know sort of fundamentally priapism is any erection that lasts longer than desired um but specifically in ischemic priapism um even after orgasm even after loss of stimulation not only do you have a persistent erection but you actually have pain because with ischemic priapism that deoxygenated venous blood gets sort of trapped in the penis, and the penis is basically holding its breath at that point, which is why we get concerned.
1: And oxygen is just a a, a vital ingredient in the 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 life of the yeah. human body, and that includes the that includes the organs. Absolutely. Um, so priapism is often discussed in the context of medications. Now, there are a number of medications that are in the PDE-5 class. So we want to know if there's any difference between those different medications in terms of risk of priapism and with other treatments for erectile dysfunction, like injections and whatnot. Does that increase the risk of priapism, decrease the risk, or does it not make a difference?
0: So um, to my knowledge, in terms of the oral medications like uh, Viagra and Cialis, my, to my knowledge, um, there's no increased risk of privacy between the two oral medications, the two types of pills. Um, so I guess sort of broadly, you know, if, if we move up the ladder from like least invasive to most invasive um, therapies for erectile dysfunction, uh, usually Viagra Cialis is where people start. Um, then you can sort of, if that doesn't work for you, you can sort of escalate to um, intraurethral suppositories that have uh, vasodilator um, medications that go into the urethra. And then there's actually intracavernosal injection medications. Uh, it's usually called tri-mix or BiMix. mix um, It's called that because it's a mix of either two or three medications that are usually vasodilatory Um And those are the medications that carry a significant risk of priapism. Um, We actually sometimes use those medications in the office to um, induce erection in men at like a very low dose because it's so potent. It'll work in pretty much anybody. Um, It'll certainly work in anyone that that does not have erectile dysfunction. Um, But then in men with varying levels of erectile dysfunction, you have to sort of titrate the correct dose for them in the office. Um, but those medications certainly carry risk of priapism, um, particularly, uh, especially because men are you know, their dosing, they're they're administering them this themselves at home. It's not always, um, it's, not,
1: it's not always exact in terms of how much they put in the syringe or how much they they get yeah, out. Of the
0: syringe. There's absolutely a risk of user error for sure, um, and no two vials are the same for every patient. Like the ratio of medications can be different. So if you draw up like five mils and in of one person's trimix versus another, you know, the ratio of the medications could be different. It could be different medication entirely.
1: Okay. Now, are there other medications that are not necessarily for sexual function at all, that would increase the risk of priapism as a secondary or a tertiary effect?
0: Yeah, so, uh, so there are medications that do um, carry warnings as with priapism as a side effect of medications. Uh, usually some antipsychotics, um, some psych meds, um, trazodone is one that we're classically taught in med school. Um, I think the review book says to remember trazodone as trazabone because it can cause an unwanted erection. Um, so yeah, those those are medications. Um Those are non-ED medications that can cause a priapism. And then there are some medical conditions as well. Um, Sickle cell disease is one where people during sickle cell crisis could present with a priapism. We've seen that here. Um, And even, you know, just sort of the broad category of like also sort of related to sickle cell um, hematologic disorders, like anything that basically... um, polycythemia, anything that would make it hard for that blood to drain out of the penis. Okay, so so I was going to come to that question as if a priapism can occur naturally.
1: So it sounds, like, it sounds like what you're describing, though, is that there is an underlying medical issue that yes. would cause that. For a, for a healthy man who has no underlying disease and is not using a medication – Is this the kind of, when you talk about this paralyzing of the process, is this the kind of systems glitch that could occur on anybody? Or is this an indicator of either use of a medication or um, some kind of underlying disease?
0: It would be very unusual for there not to be some sort of underlying, you know, like off baseline process, whether it's medication use or a hematologic disorder, um, you know, th- there's also an entity called stuttering priapism, which is a priapism that kind of recurs and recurs. And, you know, you um, we have one patient in particular that has come back quite frequently to the emergency room with priapism um, that has had to get irrigated um, or treated in the ER by several of our residents who has had a negative workup for everything. And we can't figure out why this guy keeps getting ischemic priapism over and over again. So he has a stuttering priapism. Um, yeah, so it, it. I guess to answer the question, it would be it's rare. It would be highly unusual. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Doctor Masterson, what what is the cutoff point at which an erection
1: goes from really strong to really problematic? In other words, it sounds like like you go from here to zero at some unhealthy cutoff yeah. point. And we spoke about post orgasm. Some men, you know, will maintain an erection post orgasm for a little bit of time, but for the most part, it should be dissipating. So what is that? What is it generally considered like the cutoff point where it's a problem?
0: So I think the the you know the sort of boilerplate for that you'll find on medications is four hours, you know, you should be seeking help after you should be calling someone at four hours. But um, we have found through our own research and other research, I have to, I have to give a quick shout out to um, one of my, I guess one of my mentors in priapism, uh, his name is Hansen Zhao. He was a chief resident here at Cedars two years ago. Um, he really sort of started a lot of the priapism research here at Cedars. He's the one who kind of noticed that we had a lot of people coming in with this problem. And he created a nice database over uh, about a 10 year period. People came into our hospital, it was almost 200 patients. Um, and actually through that research found that at least among our series, um, at about 24 hours, was a positive predictor of men needing to proceed to a more invasive therapy to treat their prietism. Um, But I would say, you know, more than anything, as soon as, as soon as a patient starts experiencing pain, like whatever period of time it takes for there to be pain, that's when you need to seek help. Um, and not everyone knows that. So they just try to like ride it out at home or, take a cold Mm -hmm. shower, things like that. But that's really when the clock starts ticking in terms of future erectile function and future erectile health is when you have pain because pain equals ischemia.
1: Okay. So that's, that's important to know. It's not necessarily, the commercials do say, you know, if if it's lasted longer than four hours, consult your doctor or go to your emergency room. But, but you're saying that in, in reality it's really a measure of pain. When you start to feel that pain, that that's a, clear indicator that there's something going wrong. Obviously, you shouldn't let it just go on in perpetuity. If you're not feeling pain, probably need to get checked out and get that addressed. Um, but that that's a much better measure than any specific time frame. Okay. So, Dr. Mastin, how how is priapism addressed? You've mentioned emergency room, which I'm sure is, you know, getting some of our listeners' anxiety spiked <laughs> Uh, just hearing about this being addressed in the emergency. We also said the word irrigation, which which seems to indicate that somehow you're going to irrigate the, the blood out of the penis to get this to go away. So what, what exactly does this mean?
0: Yeah, so I guess I guess sort of to, to back up just a little bit. So I, I had mentioned ischemic priapism. There is also non-ischemic priapism, which sort of meets the criteria for, you know, unwanted erection over a certain period of time. But there is usually not pain. So that's, that's kind of the first thing we, you know, triage when patients walk through the door where they, where they when they have an erection that's lasted too long, you know, if they're not having pain, it's probably what we'd call high flow priapism or non-ischemic priapism, which is usually the result of like an arteriovenous fistula. So there's not actually that sort of like trapped venous blood in the penis. There is actually arterial oxygenated blood entering the penis. So that's sort of less of like an emergency, emergency, and some of those will resolve on their own. Some of them may need sort of more advanced imaging to identify that fistula. There's usually a history of trauma, some sort of straddle injury, and those would basically be treated with potentially with some sort of um, interventional radiology, you know, vascular procedure to um, fix the whatever aberrant connection there is. Um, For ischemic priapism, you know, if someone's having pain. the basically the the first thing we do is you know you want to get a history, see if they've used a medication, see if there's, um, or if this is related to sickle cell. If it's sickle cell, you know, treating their crisis may resolve the priapism on its own. But sort of regardless, if regard all roads kind of lead to the same type of treatment, which is that you know number one, you want to get an you want to get a blood gas from the penis. You actually want to aspirate a sample of blood out of the corpora and send that to the lab so that they can measure the oxygen level and the pH and things like that to confirm your diagnosis. Um, and then what, and, and, but truthfully, you know, even without that, if a patient's having pain, they have an erection that's gone on too long. Um, the first goal is to get that deoxygenated blood out of the penis. So that basically involves, um, you know, after, after administering lidocaine, you um, 18 gauge or large bore needles into the penis. Um, there's a couple different ways of doing that. Um, some people go perpendicularly through the side, some others go through the glands and getting that blood out. Um, some will also recommend irrigating with saline, but the other important aspect of this is using a medication called phenylephrine or neosinephrine. Um, it's an alpha agonist medication so when we talked earlier about the the you know the vaso vasodilatory, uh, or vasodilation of the smooth muscles in the corpora mm-hmm. this basically helps constrict or contract those muscles to encourage drainage out of the penis.
1: Okay, so you're saying it's a, it's almost like a twofold approach, you're trying to get the body to naturally drain but also um taking blood out of the penis to kind of assist in that process as well.
0: Yeah, you're trying to like reverse the process like you said and get you know get sort of tip the scales back in the favor of you know anti-erection or detumescence but also that blood just has to have somewhere to go and you have to just get it out right there's 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 no
1: way there's no way to oxygenate the blood when it's in there i know that that you know many people get queasy at the idea of having you know needles and blood draining out of the penis is there any way to treat the blood that's currently like locked in and deoxygenating inside of the penis can you reoxygenate it or it needs to just come out
0: yeah unfortunately no there's no way to do uh any like cpr for the penis but um you know the, the this is getting a little bit in the weeds but sort of down the line there you know one of the like later in the algorithm ways to treat priapism is to actually um intentionally surgically create an arteriovenous fistula like i had mentioned with the high flow priapism Um, and basically create that. So you sort of like reroute the like inflow and outflow of the, the corpora to allow all this, to allow, you know, oxygenated blood to get in and the deoxygenated blood to get out. Um, but that's kind of like an end stage, um, treatment for,
1: is that for more like the recurring situation where you would go in and try to do that? Uh,
0: yeah. Or for, you know, if, um, basically all of your emergency room efforts fail, you know, that's something you could then proceed to the OR to do. Um, but yeah, in the emergency room, that's basically where we do what we call like the the irrigation of a priapism where, you know, you you drain that blood out, you give um, phenylephrine, um, and you can do that for up to an hour. Um, you have to monitor patients while you're doing this to make sure that they don't have um, elevated blood pressure or decreased heart rate, because if the phenylephrine gets taken up systemically, there can be systemic symptoms as well. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is definitely something that has to happen under medical care in an emergency room. This yes. is not a DIY project by by any by any stretch of the imagination. this This needs to be done under you know with with, with you know full medical care.
0: Yeah, and then interestingly, um, phenylephrine is a very similar, like mechanistically, it's a very similar um, medication mechanism as uh, Sudafed. So patients will sometimes take Sudafed at home if they have a, if they've they realize they have an erection that's lasted too long because it sort of acts in the same way. It's obviously not as strong or potent as delivering it mm-hmm. directly to the corpora. Um but that's something that, that that that's part of the DIY solution for this, I guess.
1: Got it. Got it. Be saying when, when, certainly when that does not work, um the rest the rest has to be done in a medical setting with medical professionals. Now, what is the um risk in delaying this and 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 this is really important because there are many men who um do avoid they just they avoid getting treatment for erectile dysfunction they avoid getting all kinds of medical treatments crossing their fingers and hoping that things self-resolve um so if a man is feeling that pain and like you said i'm just going to stick it out i'm not going to rush i don't want to make a scene out of everything um what risks does he run by not getting this treated or addressed in a timely fashion?
0: Um, yeah, so basically, as you might imagine, um, th- this is something I think that like neurosurgery people say, but like time is tissue whenever there's like a, you know, an embolic stroke to the brain or something like that. So it's kind of the same with priapism. Time is tissue. Um, and if you wait, you know, you'll have permanent changes to your corpora where that'll it'll basically become fibrotic. And, um, basically the the risk is permanent erectile dysfunction. Um, and, you know, we find that, you know, anybody who, um, waits over 24 hours, the guidelines quote 36 hours, um, you can pretty much expect to have, you know, severe erectile dysfunction for the rest of your life. Um, and actually at, at 36 hours there, you know, some people would actually recommend, not even really attempting to, um, perform irrigation aspiration, you may actually just proceed to the OR and place a penile prosthesis at that point as like an upfront treatment.
1: Okay. Meaning it's at that point, it's, it's, it's assumed that this person is not going to regain natural function at any point.
0: Yeah. And and that's, what's tough as well, because, you know, I've mentioned irrigation in the, um, in the operating room, um, then you know the the recommended way to treat priapism is sort of this escalating invasiveness of procedures. So if you know aspirating an ear getting through needles doesn't work, um, the next recommendation is to perform a shunting procedure where you basically, if you were to do what's called like a distal shunt or a T-shunt, you would basically bury the blade of a scalpel through the, the glands, the tip of the penis on either side where the corpora are, and just create like larger outflow mechanisms for that deoxygenated blood and then if those techniques don't work you proceed to the or um, and perform what's called a corporal tunneling procedure where you basically take a large dilator um or a sound and you um tunnel proximally along the length of the corpora And, and then you sort of enter this territory of you know the treatment is going to cause permanent erectile dysfunction or could potentially cause permanent erectile dysfunction. So it's like, it, you know, what's what's going to cause oh. erectile dysfunction, the treatment or the disease? Um, so it becomes this conversation with the patient about, look, you know, we can try to stay as conservative as we can with the understanding that if we proceed to more invasive procedures, you know, you may end up with permanent ED either way.
1: How, how often is it or what percentage of priapisms that show up in the ER um, end up in this advanced treatment situation?
0: Um, so for us in, in one of the studies we had published, I think it was about 12%. So, you know, certainly the minority of patients, which is good because most, you know, we see most of our patients coming in before 24 hours, which is great. Um, people have enough self-awareness, um, uniquely, and not to just, plug our own research here at Cedars. Um, But what's sort of unique about the population we found at Cedars-Sinai is that uh, about half of our patients, like half of almost 200 patients over a 10-year period who had a priapism in the ER, it was due to the use of those um, intracavernosal injectable medications like Trimix or Bimix. It was due to basically recreational use of those medications. So Mm -hmm. these are men that don't necessarily have erectile dysfunction, um, they are using medication that they got from a friend or a sexual partner, um, and they're kind of using it, um, really just recreationally. So they are not the ones who got the counseling from their doctor and things like that. Um, so they're sort so of, they're not, a,
1: they're, not pros- they're not properly dosed. I mean, this it, exactly, just, oh,
0: got yeah, it. It. it's, it's a super risky behavior and that, and that is, you know, half the priapisms we see here at Cedars. So they tend to sort of come in closer to that 24 hour mark, which is a shame because a lot of them didn't have ed to begin with yeah for for
1: men though we want to encourage men to do what's obviously in their best health interest we think addressing these things sooner rather than later is best for a man who comes in at the four five six hour mark isn't necessarily feeling tremendous amount of pains just starting to feel it what are the, what are the percentage of men who dealing with it up front will end up in one of these much more advanced kind of situations where these other methods for, for whatever reason it might be have failed?
0: Yeah. I mean, if I would, you know, I I don't have statistics to quote you. um, But, you know, if you're within that sort of, you know, four to six hour, really less than 24 hour timeframe, you should feel pretty confident that, you know, First line uh, intervention, you know, should work. Um, you really should not have any, you know, permanent erectile dysfunction after that.
1: Meaning, uh, meaning the, the earlier you seek help, like you said before, time is tissue. The earlier you seek help yeah. um, with this, the the better the outcomes are going to be, statistically speaking.
0: Exactly, and you know, like I mentioned before, you know, the the way in the same way that um, you know, pain is when the clock starts ticking. I think relief of pain, you know, in the process of, you know, draining, you know, the deoxygenated blood and things like that, um, relief of pain sort of resets the clock. So, you know, that's something I think we've done with patients is basically say, hey, look, like, I know this is torture, but if we can just sort of like get some oxygen back to your penis, even if we have to like do this again, 24 hours from now, you know, that's better than us taking you to the OR and tunneling your corpora mm-hmm. and, you know, having our intervention, you know, cause erectile dysfunction. So you can, and you can also check people with uh, repeat blood gases and things like that. And you can actually just measure the oxygenation of their penis. So you can reassure yourself and the patient that way. Yeah. Now
1: millions and millions and millions of men have, and continue to take PD five inhibitors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is the, you know, st- What's the risk? How, how how common is a priapism with appropriate dosage and use of a PDE5 inhibitor? Is this something men should be worried or concerned about, um, generally speaking, or should they be able to use these medications comfortably?
0: Uh, I mean, it's certainly something they should know about, but the risk is low. It's it's certainly not nearly what it is um, with intracavernosal injectable medications, Um you know, and with these trimix, bimix medications, um, the companies actually have like the, those patients are better educated because it's like so much more of a risk factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they actually, I, I believe even the, the medication inserts, they have the sort of like telltale signs of a priapism and they recommend, you know, take a Sudafed, put ice on it, things like that. Things that could sort of remedy at home or buy you more time. Um, but, you know, I think for men who are on oral medication, the risk the risk is low. It's not something that should be like keeping you up at night or stopping you from taking the medication.
1: Now, in in your research, maybe you've come across this or maybe there's just more general data. But I'm wondering, are, are, are there men who are just biologically or organically more prone to priapism mm-hmm. than other men? Or is it really, as far as we can tell at this point, more of a random
0: phenomenon? I think, you know, there are, I think if I were to say that men like had any sort of genetic predisposition, it would sort of go hand in hand if with whatever underlying pathology they have. Um, again, I think, you know, the, the non-medication induced priapism is rare and you usually would see it in a patient with, with a hematologic disorder. Um, we've certainly had a few patients that came in, claim they never used any medication, um, and have had a negative hematologic workup and just sort of have this like unexplained priapism. They may have just sort of like a faulty, you know, venous drainage mechanism, or they may have some underlying, you know, neurotransmitter disorder that sort oh. of favors the erection state more than the detumescent state. Um, but yeah, it, it's, th- those people are hard to identify and priapism in general is a tough condition to study because it happens so sort of randomly and sporadically. Mm -hmm. And it's so associated with medication that anyone we see in the ER who claims to not have used a medication, we like don't believe them. And we ask them again and again, and sometimes they'll finally admit to it.
1: Got it. Got it. Now, is there any connection between priapism and erectile dysfunction. I want to be particular about this. Obviously, a lot of these men are coming in because they are using um, erectile dysfunction medication. So okay. clearly um, there is some connection. Um, but is there uh, have you seen a phenomenon where men who have experienced a priapism will then develop a severity in their erectile dysfunction as a result? In other words, does this induce some kind of fear in men? to like re-engage in sexual activity or, uh, to even, you know, intentionally or willfully try to get an erection.
0: I see. So more sort of like a, like a psychogenic ED after mm-hmm. like a priapism experience. Yeah. That's not, that's not something we looked at. Um, you know, one of the like many priapism projects we did was long-term follow-up for those men who had a priapism, uh, using, uh, recreational intracavernosal injectable medications. Um, And most of those men, you know, broadly did not have, you know, permanent ED and did not have like terribly worsening ED afterwards. Um, And very few mentioned, you know, psychogenic ED afterwards. Um, You know, I I can certainly imagine that that would be the case. I can see Mm -hmm. why that would happen, Um, especially in patients who, you know, had a priapism and were not using medications. And this just kind of like happened. Um, you know, you, that's certainly understandable, but yeah, I can't say for certain, there's like a statistic on, you know, how many men develop psychogenic ED after priapism.
1: Yeah. it'd be, it be a very hard thing to document well, because again, most of these men, not the ones who are recreational users, but most of the men who had it, had it before. So it yeah. becomes really difficult to kind of tease all of that out. But I, I could imagine that being a very just traumatic event, um, yeah. like having to, you know, go into an ER and get trained. I assume that
0: there's no general general
1: anesthesia for this, so uh, have- there
0: is no general. We do use local. We try to numb them up the best we can, but and so unfortunately, you, it's still, yeah. It's so still you a you have to thing.
1: be witness to your own irrigation, largest, yes. which is yeah. And,
0: that, and I'll, I'll tell you, that's why as a resident, it is like it, it it's one of the things that like young residents like dread. Um, because, you know, it is an emergency, but more so it's because the patient is like awake the whole time. And like, you're kind of torturing them and you feel awful about it. But you also understand that like, this kind of has to be done.
1: Any other important, you know, pieces that you have found in the research or in the clinical applications of priapism that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know about?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the main thing, this is not like earth shattering, but it's kind of just like, you know, listen to your doctor, follow the medical advice, you know, follow the directions on like the Viagra bottle and like the TriMix. Um, if you have a painful erection, seek help. You know, it's not, it's not worth it. Um, you only get one penis unless you want to have like a new one made later on. Um, but yeah, don't, don't mess around with it. Um, as soon as you feel pain, you know, that's when it's time to seek help. Certainly.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like again, if 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 men are going to handle these situations responsibly, not delay going for treatment early, then it really is something that even if it were to occur, is something they don't really need to be worrying about or ruminating. They should be able to, you know, have enjoyable sexual encounters um, without having to worry about this phenomenon and to just know that if it were to occur, that seeking help earlier and sooner is going to in all likelihood lead to outcomes where there is no long long lasting damage or effects. Um and they will be able to you know re-engage and re-enjoy a, a satisfying sex life shortly. Yeah, ab-
0: absolutely. Everything you said is is absolutely accurate. Yeah. Like it'll seem traumatic in the moment. That's just because, you know, that's the nature of the treatment. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you seek help quickly, you know, there's no really long-term deleterious effects, which is great. Okay. That's
1: really, really great to hear. I'm sure our listeners are going to feel relieved to know that, you know, those long-term effects really can be staved off in almost all cases by just acting uh, quickly. Dr. Mastin, thank you so much for joining us. We want to wish you best of luck on your continued journey through your residency. I look forward to the next generation of urologists uh, coming to help us and educate us. So look forward to getting this episode out to our listeners.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.